Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Church, the message I'm going to preach to you today is called An Urgent Plea to the Undecided. And I'd ask the congregation to please turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. And please stand as we shall pray. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Please be seated. So church, my message today is called An Urgent Plea to the Undecided. Now this is an urgent plea. It's not a plea that can wait. It's not a plea that we can put off until next week. It is a timely message that requires a decision, that requires action. Because when I take a step back and look at what's happening in the world around me, where there are record-setting earthquakes happening in Mexico, followed the next week by an earthquake, followed the next week by another earthquake, when I hear of hurricanes devastating the Caribbean and the southern United States of Texas and Florida, where lives are being irrevocably broken, when I hear of wars and rumors of wars and there's a threat of nuclear war breaking out in the Pacific, it becomes clear this is not a time for empty slogans, for false promises, or delayed action. It is a time to make an acute decision about your salvation and take it seriously because eternity is at stake. Because as Jesus told us himself in Luke chapter 13, when towers fall and adversity strikes other people, the question we ought not to ask is how could such a thing happen to them? The question we should be asking is why did something catastrophic not happen to me? So for those who are uncertain, for those who are unsure, for those who aren't clear about where their eternity lies, this is a message to you. It is an urgent plea to the undecided. And I'm going to make my plea against the backdrop of a story. It's a story that happens long, long ago, but is as relevant then as it is now. And in that story, there were three different groups of people. Two groups were decided. One group was undecided. This is an event that happened atop Mount Carmel long, long ago, where you had the prophet Elijah 
who was decided. He was sure, he was certain that the God of the Bible is God. Then you have the prophets of Baal and Asherah. They were decided, they were sure, they were certain that Baal and Asherah were God. But then you had the undecided. You had the people who were unsure. You were the people who, they were the people who were uncertain, the people of Israel. This is a message to that group of people, the undecided. Because I may not know where in the world you are right now. I may not even know when you are. But this I know for sure, that you are undecided. So to help that group, to equip you with answers, to move you from being undecided to decided, this sermon is going to answer one simple question. How do you know who God really is? Again, this sermon is going to answer the question, how do you know who God really is? So let's set the story up. This happened roughly 2,900 years ago in the geographic area that we call Israel today. It was, occurred in an environment of pluralism where there were a host of ideas, a host of different beliefs very similar to modern day America where the question people asked themselves was not, should I worship God? The question they asked themselves was, which God should I worship? It was an environment of pluralism, and during the events of our story, the nation of Israel was in a setting of droughts. There was severe famine. There hadn't been rain in three years. And in the midst of this drought, the prophet Elijah walks up to King Ahab. And he says, King Ahab, let's have a God Bowl. Let's have a showdown at the OK Corral. I stand for Team God, Team Yahweh, because my name means Jehovah is God. So I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring my A game. You round up 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. You bring your MVPs. You bring your star players. And we're going to have a good old-fashioned God Bowl. And whoever wins that contest, they are really God. And Ahab says, okay. So on one side, you have one man for Team Jehovah, the prophet Elijah. On the other side, you have 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. So let's get our story started. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 21. The text says, So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. 
The question is, how long will you waver? How long will you hesitate? How long will you limp? How long will you hop from branch to branch? This is a question which implies a distinction. It implies that God and Baal are in fact two different opinions. And the people are wavering between them. Now you have me ask you, wait a minute, preacher. I have an objection already. Maybe I do waver. Maybe I have different opinions. Maybe I have different beliefs. Maybe I have different spiritual ideas about life. But what's wrong with that? Why can't I waver? Why can't Buddhism make me a better Christian? Why can't I do one thing on Sunday and then do something else on the next day? And here's the answer why you can't waver. Because no one can serve two masters. Because when it comes to God and to Baal, you cannot combine the masters, nor can you be a servant of both. Because guess what? God is jealous. So is Baal. So if you serve God, Baal's going to come after you. If you serve Baal, God is going to come after you. So you can't waver because no one can serve two masters. You can't waver because wavering means you can't do anything right. If you waver, that means you get all the condemnation and guilt from religion, but none of the joy. If you waver, you can't even sin properly. You know why? Because you get all the consequences of sin, but you can't even enjoy what you're doing. The world pagan knowledge will tell you, you have to dedicate to yourself fully to get results. Wavering benefits you nothing. Why can't I waver? Because you must choose. When it comes to worshiping, no one is spiritually neutral. You can't abstain. You are unable to not vote. Because every human being on the face of the planet worships something. No one is neutral. So if, the God of the, if you don't worship the God of the Bible, then you worship something else. If you don't worship Baal, then you worship something else. And just in case you thought I'm telling you a story that doesn't apply to you about simple-minded people 2,900 years ago worshiping a false pagan deity, Baal comes from a Hebrew word meaning owner, possessor, or master. So when I say Baal, it doesn't refer to some pie-in-the-sky God. It refers to whoever holds the deed to your heart. Baal in the 21st century could be Allah. It could be Buddha. It could be Scientology. It could be scientism. It could be body image. It could be fame. It could be wealth. It could be your children. Baal could even be the pastor of your church. Wait a minute. You're telling me there are Baals that dress up and look like God? 
Yup. They're the most dangerous ones. Now see, Elijah was smart because he knew that when people are decided in opinion, then they are decided in practice. When you are decided in opinion, then you are decided in practice. So the people were wavering because they weren't decided in opinion. They didn't really know who God really was. So they were undecided. In other words, they lacked faith in general. They didn't know where to slide all of their chips onto God or to Baal. They were going half in, they were going a quarter in, multiple different directions, and the result was they wavered. And because they didn't really know who God really is, this is the point of this message, to tell you who God really is. So now, the God Bowl begins. The referee toss, tosses a coin, team ball goes first. It's first and 10. They have the ball. What happens? 1 Kings 18, verses 22 to 24. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. So Elijah establishes the terms of the God Bowl. One, each team's going to make a sacrifice. Two, they're going to call on their God. Three, whoever responds with fire, they are God. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but here's an interesting point. When Elijah confronted the people directly and asked them, how long will you waver? They said, nothing. Now, when the prophets of Baal and Elijah are going to do all the hard work, when they're going to do all the heavy lifting, now the people have something to say. When it came up to them to make a decision for themselves, they were silent. Now, when other people do the work, now they vocalize an opinion, because here's a key insight. People who really know what they believe, they act based on that belief. People who don't know what they really believe are acted upon. Let's say that again. People who really know what they believe, they act. People who don't really know what they believe, they are acted upon. Because when you're not decided in your heart what you believe and why, you're wavering in thoughts, you therefore waver in practice, making you more susceptible to deception, making you more susceptible to lies, making you easily manipulated. So if you need a fourth reason why, 
you ought not to waver. It's because you will be acted upon. Now gets a good part of the story. Team Baal, they call their first play. 1 Kings 18, chapter 25 to 29. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So let's explain this. First and ten, Team Baal and Asherah have the ball. They don't begin with a word from Baal. They don't begin with a promise. So they, they start performing. They start dancing. They begin ranting and raving, hoping Baal will respond. But the more silent Baal was, the more they upped their game, and then they began hurting themselves. They began cutting themselves in order to get a response. And the end result was that there was no answer. Now why would Baal not respond? Why would Baal not give his prophets, who are working so hard to hear his voice, why would he remain silent? And here's the answer. Because Baal doesn't exist. <laughs> Baal is a creation of the human heart. He's a manufactured God. He's a manufactured idea. He's a constructed entity designed to serve the human heart. And there are bales everywhere in this world. You could be a 15-year-old girl, and your bale is body image. Your bale is the acceptance from a man. And you dance, you perform, you starve yourself, and you act and look a certain way to serve Baal. And you dance, you perform, and now you begin hurting yourself, hurting your own life, hurting your own welfare, so that Baal will answer you. And the minute that you stop, you stop dressing a certain way, or the minute that you stop eating only 800 calories a day, do you know what happens when you stop dancing for Baal? 
He says you're a piece of garbage. He throws you away. Because once you stop performing, Baal has no use for you. You could be a 20 or 30-something-year-old man or woman. We live right outside of New York City, so everyone's concerned with their professional career. Your bail could be professional success. So you dance, you perform, you sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice your health, you sacrifice your family, you sacrifice your children, and you keep on upping the stakes, hurting yourself, performing, dancing, and sacrificing for bail so you can get the title, you can get the corner office, you can get the wealth. But the minute that you stop dancing, the minute that you stop working, Baal throws you away. You could even be an elderly person who calls themselves, and I'm not picking on anyone, I'm just making examples here. You could be an elderly person who calls themselves a Christian. And your Baal are the desires of your own heart. So you dance, you perform, you go to church, you tithe, you pray, you fast, you do everything that's religious, performing for Baal. So you can say, Baal, now give me what I want. Look at what I did. I danced for you. I performed for you. I cut myself for you. Now give it to me. And the minute that you stop dancing, the minute that you stop performing, Baal spits you out and says, you mean nothing to me. You're worthless. Because the catch with Baal worship is that Baal never takes the first step towards you. You always take the first step towards Baal. Now you may be asking yourself, if Baal worship is so destructive, if Baal worship is so harmful, then why is it so attractive? And the answer is simple. Because in Baal, Baal worship, the author and finisher of that religious system is you. You define who Baal is, you define what Baal gives you, you define how you dance or perform, you perf define when you're gonna dance and perform, and you define why you're going to perform. You are essentially in the driver's seat of your own religion, which explains why there were so many options, because exaltation of the self is always popular, which is why there were 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and only one prophet of God. So I asked you at the top, how do you know who God really is? Answer, he doesn't need to be impressed. He doesn't need you to perform for him. He doesn't need you to bleed for him. How do you know who God really is? By knowing who Baal really is. Baal needs to be impressed. Baal needs you to perform for him. He needs you to bleed for him. For what kind of God would God be if he needed you to perform for him? Now I want you to imagine the scene. 
at the time of the evening sacrifice when the prophets of Baal and Asher were done. These were men who have been performing and dancing for hours from the morning time until the evening. They would have been sweaty. It would have been a bloodbath because they were cutting themselves. They would be ranting. They would be raving. They would be jumping on top of the altar. It would look like someone just let out a psychiatric hospital. It would be psychosis and rage incarnate. Because when I mold over these verses over and over and over again, and I ask myself, how could the prophet Elijah at the beginning of this confrontation say, how could he have the audacity to even say, if Baal is really God, you should follow him. If someone walked into my office and said, Pastor, I want to serve wealth my entire life. And if I responded by saying, you know what? If wealth is really your God, you should go ahead and serve them all of your life. That doesn't make any sense. That seems so illogical. It seems so insane. But now I realize when Elijah asked that question and he said, if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah knew the ultimate conclusion of Baal worship is the scene of chaos, is the scene of ranting and raving, is the scene of the individual cutting themselves and hurting themselves and receiving no response, where there was no answer and there's hopelessness and despair, because that's the ultimate end result of Baal worship. You sacrifice yourself and you bring yourself to the verge of dying for nothing, for something which does not really exist. So how do you know who God really is? God doesn't need you to perform for him. So that's Team Bale. They had four downs to make 10 yards. They failed. They failed to convert on fourth down. Now it's Elijah's turn. Team Yahweh. So 1 Kings 18, verses 30 to 39. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now let's explain this. Elijah begins, he starts with the word from God. He starts with the promise. In his prayer, he says, God, the reason why I'm here at the God Bowl is because you sent me. So he begins with the word from God. He then does not perform. He doesn't dance. He doesn't hurt himself. He says a simple prayer. And guess what? The terms of the God Bowl was, whoever, whichever God responds by fire, they are God. But Elijah doesn't pray for fire, does he? Nope. He prays so that God may be glorified, and then God is the one who responds with fire. So how do you know who God really is? Answer, fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Psalm 104, 4 says, He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, It is, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now check this out. This confrontation, this God Bowl, happens during a time of drought, which means the natural resource the people wanted more than anything else was water. It was the natural resource, the substance that they wanted to cure their lack of water, their lack of food, their lack of rain. But God didn't respond with water, did he? He responded with fire. Because how do you know who God really is? Because he must still be God both in the good times and the bad times. If God responded with water and gave the people exactly what they wanted, they would have said, oh, this must be Baal. Our performance, our dancing must have worked. And here's the irony. Baal was a god of fertility. He was a god of agriculture. He was in charge of the rain. But he couldn't execute, he couldn't perform, because he doesn't really exist. Because Baal only works in times of prosperity. When you can dance, when you can perform, when you're able to exert yourself. And he gives you what you want. But in dry seasons of adversity, Baal will not answer because he doesn't exist. The only one who responded in the midst of adversity, the only one who responded in the midst of drought is the only real and true God, the God of the Bible. Amen. 
because he is the God when times are good. He is the God when times are bad. He is the God who has always been God and who always will be God from beginning to end. He set down fire which consumed the water, which licked it up. God was telling his people, I am greater than your natural needs. The one natural thing that you want, I transcend that. And this was a fire so powerful, so consuming. It consumed rocks, it consumed the water, and it consumed the altar. And now look at, what, look at what the text tells us. Now the people begin dancing. They begin performing in response to what God did. God sends down fire from heaven. He does something miraculous. He does something that overloaded their senses. And the people said, my goodness, this doesn't make any sense. It's a miracle. And in response to that miracle, now they shout for joy. Now they bow down and say, God really must be God. Because when you worship Baal, the only thing that you have faith in is your faith. Because you're, worship, you're worshiping a fairy tale. But worship of God is always in response to what he already did. So how do you know who God really is? Fire. But that's not the best part of the story. How do you know who God really is? By where the fire falls. Let's take a step back. In our God Bowl, you have King Ahab, who executed a campaign of idolatry, of worship of false gods. So he broke God's law and is, was therefore a sinner. You had the prophets of Baal and Asherah who were actively promoting idolatry. They therefore trans, transgressed God's law and were sinners. They violated God's law. You had the people of Israel, whose name even means people of God. They forgot who they were and were worshiping false gods. They spat in the face of God, who put them where they were in the promised land. You had three different groups of people who were deserving of judgment. But did God's fire land on them? No. God's fire landed on the sacrifice. It landed on a sacrifice instead of the people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see the connection now. I see it. See, you thought you've been listening to a story about the prophet Elijah atop Mount Carmel. But in reality, this is a story about Jesus Christ. Amen. See, Elijah was a man of God who was sent by the word of God. He went up on a mountain called Mount Carmel and he prepared an altar. He prepared a sacrifice and the fire of God, which in the Old Testament means God's judgment, the fire of God came down and consumed the sacrifice 
instead of the people. And then in the New Testament, there was a man called Jesus, who was the son of God, who didn't go up on a mountain, but he went up on a hill called Calvary. And see, he erected an altar with a horizontal and wooden beam called a cross. But the thing with Jesus is, he didn't prepare a sacrifice because he was the sacrifice. And when he was crucified that day on the cross, the fire came down from heaven, the full, unrestrained wrath of God, which had to be justified because who God really is, is a God of justice. And he can't say, never mind to sin. So something had to pay the price for my sin, for your sin, for the entire world sin. And on that day, 2,000 years ago, God's judgment came raining down on Jesus as he hung there on the cross. And he was destroyed. He was consumed instead of me, instead of you, instead of anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. And now in response to God's judgment raining down on Jesus and his resurrection three days later, in response to what God did, in response to God's word, in response to God's promise, now we worship God. Because God proved who he really is by showing the world who's in charge of life itself. By sending his son back from the dead to tell everybody about it. And as Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 12, a few days before he was crucified, he said, I have a baptism of fire to undergo. And that baptism was his death on the cross. See, Jesus already did the heavy lifting. We don't have to perform because Jesus already did. He lived a life of perfect performance, of perfect execution of God's law. Jesus then sacrificed himself and allowed God's fire to rain down on him so it, so it wouldn't rain down on me, so it wouldn't rain down on you, so it wouldn't rain down on the undecided. Because Jesus did not come to destroy men, but to save them. He performed so you wouldn't have to, and he died so you wouldn't have to, and he did all of this so you would be moved from a posture of indecision to decision. So how do you know who God really is? By where the fire falls. Why would you ever worship and perform for Baal? When all that happens is you are hurt in the end and you end up with hopelessness, and despair. But when you worship Christ and recognize who God really is, there is forgiveness of sins, there is eternal assurance, and there is hope for the future.
So now that you know, if I've done a good job of expositing God's word, now you know who Baal really is, and now you know who God really is. Now is time for the urgent plea. And my question to the world today is, how long will you waver? How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Because if God is really God, then follow him. But if Baal is really God, then follow him. How long will you wait? Sermon after sermon, Sunday after Sunday will pass. Weeks may pass, days may pass, hurricanes may strike, family members may pass. God may surround you with gentle reminders for decades, but how long will you waver? Because there is no virtue in indecisiveness. The time is ripe for opportunity right now when you have the option to choose. Because here is the worst news you will ever hear. For anyone who remains undecided, there will come a point in time where God will decide for you. And anyone who doesn't see the fire from heaven and hear God speaking to us and recognize what God has already done in his son, Jesus Christ, if you don't hear the sermon of fire, you will feel a sermon of fire forever in hell, where the worm does not die and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the worst news you will ever hear. Now here's the best news. Because the fire of God outside of Christ means death, wrath, and destruction. But the fire of God in Christ means the love, means the light, means the illumination, means peace, joy, contentment, freedom, redemption, the removal of guilt, and the cleansing of sin. So tell me, how will you choose? God or Baal? For today is the Lord's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Act now. Choose now. For if God is God, then follow him. Right now counts forever. So choose Christ. Right now. Now church, I'm going to pray. So I'd ask as I close the sermon, everyone to please bow their heads. Father, we thank you once again for the gathering of your people here today. And I, as your humble servant, call upon you, O Lord, to please glorify your name and send down your fire from heaven. Not a fire of judgment, not a fire of wrath, but we ask you, O Lord, in a silent, invisible to the eyes of men, nothing miraculous, but send down your fire into the hearts of the unconverted into the hearts of the undecided.
so their hearts that are hardened and blackened and plagued with sin may be warmed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, and they may see, Almighty God, who God really is, Jehovah, Yeshua, the God of the Bible, that they may be set free, O Lord, from the darkness and live a life of love, of joy, of having a reconciliatory relationship with their Father in heaven. For we know the only way to the Father is through the Son. And for all those, Almighty God, who know you, who are wavering, who have some knowledge of the Messiah, but whose flame, O Lord, is covered up, whose flame has been burning very low for a long time, we ask you, O Lord, to send down your fire from heaven so your word may be a fire in their bones. Your word is a fire which will drive their thoughts, drive their worship, drive their deeds, drive their actions. So that every fleshly, every carnal, every trace of sin, every trace of lust will be consumed and destroyed by that fire and be cast away like the chaff in the wind. For as they approach you, Almighty God, we know that in the presence of your fire, the spirit will be kindled and set ablaze, but the flesh will be destroyed. Lord, eternity matters more than the present, then, now, and always. So we ask you, God Almighty, I as your humble servant call upon you to glorify your name and your name only and to send down your fire from heaven so that men, women, and children now and forevermore shall know that you and you alone are God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we magnify you. And Lord, we bless your almighty name. For truly and surely this we know, that you are God Almighty and you are El Shaddai. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon by Dr. Sadafa. For more valuable content and resources, please visit wcsk.org.